You're listening to the Art of Parenting podcast. I'm your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. My intention is to share with you simple tips and tricks that will make a huge difference in your life, as well as giving you all the support and encouragement you deserve to enhance your parenting experience. I've created this safe place for us to explore the issues and concerns that matter to you bringing you clarity and solutions with Q&A sessions and inspirational conversations with world-renowned experts in a variety of fields. I've recently created a private community for us to continue these supportive and uplifting conversations. Click the Join the Art of Parenting Community Here button on this page and I will see you there. I'm a firm believer that parenting was never meant to be done alone, and I'm here to debunk the general consensus that it has to be hard. A warm welcome to you, and thanks for tuning in. Hello, everybody. This is Jeanne-Marie Penel with the Art of Parenting podcast, and I am very pleased today to have a new guest, uh, Amy Saltzman, MD. And uh, Dr. Amy, I'm going to let her introduce herself, of course, but we are going to have a conversation really about protecting ourselves and our children from abuse. So, Please be mindful that uh, in this conversation that we're about to have, there might be some triggers for some of you. So I just wanted to to voice that before we get started. Uh, be mindful, take care of yourself, and uh, do enjoy this conversation. Welcome, Dr. Amy. So glad to have you on the show. It's a pleasure to be with you. Wonderful. So I always like to get started with uh, asking my guests, what is their definition of the art of parenting? Oh, that's a great question. (laughs) Um, I loved that you actually used the word mindful twice in your little lead in. And um, I am a practitioner of mindfulness and I teach mindfulness to children, teens, parents, athletes, business people, creatives, change makers, etc. So I'm going to give you my definition of mindfulness, because I think to me, that really is the definition of good parenting. So for me, mindfulness is paying attention here and now with kindness and curiosity so that we can choose our behaviors. So I want to break it down as much as possible. Paying attention here and now means doing our best to be in the present and not uh, obsessing about the past or worrying or fantasizing about the future. With kindness and curiosity means that we bring those qualities to ourselves and to our children um, rather than Um, judging ourselves and our parenting or judging our children and their childrening. And then when we pay attention to our breath, our body, our thoughts, our feelings, our children and the circumstances, then generally we have all the information we need to make uh, our choices and choose our behavior. And I think We need to infuse that entire process with a lot of compassion because parenting is challenging and 
Um, the situations are often complex and we can only make the best choices in the moment. And then we need to make new choices in the next moment. Beautiful. Love, love this uh, definition because it's true about what you say about being in the present moment. I know I, I'm often reminding parents that our children have a gift for being in the present moment. And if we can tune into that, um, it makes things a lot easier. So, so love that. Um, and then I would love before we get too involved in our conversation, if you could share with our listeners a, bit, a little bit about yourself and how you came to do the work that you do today. Yeah. So I think my story really begins with um, being a gymnast as a child. And as a child, I was very fortunate to have um a coach who really challenged me and challenged all the um, gymnasts in the gym and did so in a healthy, caring, supportive way. So I was a gymnast. Uh, I w competed through um, my second year in college. I became a bike racer briefly. Then I went to medical school. And um, during my medical school, I began participating in the Amer what at that point was called the American Holistic Medical Association. Uh, in my residency, I learned mindfulness from John Kabat-Zinn, who's kind of the father of modern mindfulness, and began teaching first to patients with chronic pain and chronic illness. Then when I became a parent, I started teaching to parents. Then when, honestly, one afternoon when one of my children had a meltdown, I started teaching mindfulness to my children. And I kind of thought, well, why do we have to be 40 and going through a divorce or have a heart attack before we learn these skills? Why can't we learn these skills when we're eight? And then... Um, I returned to teaching mindfulness to athletes because athletes is a place of passion for me. And then in August of 2020, I learned that my relationship with my life coach, spiritual mentor, was a relationship of undue influence and other names for that are coercive control or covert emotional abuse. And I started right with my childhood being a gymnast. And what I realized in healing from my own covert emotional abuse is that covert emotional abuse generally, it is harmful in and of itself. And in fact, there's data to show that it's more harmful than either physical abuse or sexual abuse. However, we don't really teach people about it. And what I realized is all the abuse that was um, being publicized in the sporting world. So the gymnasts um, abused by Larry Nassar and the youth soccer players and the NWSL soccer players that were being abused by their coaches and the hockey player being abused in Canada and the football players being abused at um, Michigan, that all of that actually begins 
with covert emotional abuse. And as with teaching mindfulness to children, I thought, well, why are we not teaching kids how to recognize the signs of covert and overt abuse and to feel confident in um, reporting that abuse to a trusted result, adult. Okay. And that, that was uh, kind of through your, your mindfulness practice that you, that that came to light for you, that this covert emotional abuse. And, and I would love if you could spend just a little moment kind of defining that. So what, so our listeners understand exactly what this covert emotional abuse is. So, um, the most common way to think about covert emotional abuse is grooming. And the problem with thinking about it as grooming is that grooming kind of, I think, commonly gets interpreted as something that leads to physical and sexual abuse. And while it's true that grooming can lead to physical and sexual abuse, what we miss when we look at it that way is that the covert emotional abuse is damaging in and of itself. It causes anxiety, it causes depression, it causes PTSD, mostly because the covert emotional abuse is um, eroding someone's sense of self and creating a sense of dependency on the abuser. And when you say define, can you define covert emotional abuse? I'm smiling just because um, the first video on the Spot a Spider website is called How to Spot a Sneaky Spider, and it's 45 minutes long, and I really tried desperately to shorten it. Um, But part of the issue is that it's so sneaky and so subtle that it is hard to define. And that's actually why I created the video. And the name How to Spot a Spider came from what happened for me was that my mentor actually insisted that I get a neuropsychological exam. And after seven hours of testing and two hours of the neuropsychologist talking to the mentor and an hour of the neuropsychologist talking to my husband, the determination was that this was a relationship of undue influence. And for me, my internal experience was that I'd been standing in one place, looking in one direction, didn't see anything. And then all of a sudden, when the neuropsychologist said that the light shifted, and I saw the whole web of abuse completely clearly. So you know that moment where you're walking along and you think everything's fine and then all of a sudden you turn or the light shifts and you see a whole spider web? Mm -hmm. That was my own experience. So then what I did in How to Spot a Sneaky Spider was to kind of explain each little thread in the web individually so that kids and parents and team staff or school staff or church staff or YMCA staff can spot the behaviors. But I can give you some examples if that would be helpful. It it would be helpful because I'm I'm just thinking of, you know, a listener who might be a parent or 
that just has a icky feeling or just a, a sense that there's something going on, like how would you be able to maybe start this conversation with a young child uh, to, to be able to, to kind of undo this web, right? Or to, to figure out if there is a web that is being created uh, because your, your analogy of the spider. But for me, I, I guess I was trying to maybe ask for um, an example of what that might be. Because, you know, when you, when you started talking about that, I, I had kind of flashbacks of, 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 you know, people in my life and all this. And I'm like thinking, oh my gosh, what was that? Was that what that was? Uh, so, so it's interesting. I would love to, to know a little bit more like how you define it or how you help people that you work with make sense of it. Well, and it's so fascinating because I've actually been doing a lot of podcasts and having a lot of conversations about this and the number of people who say, oh my gosh, that happened to me when I was 10 or it happened to my friend when I was 10 or um, my son just came to me and said, uh, I mean, the podcast I did earlier in the week, the woman said, her son had an English teacher who was coming to his football games and her initial thought was like, wow, how nice, how supportive. And he said, no mom, it's creepy. And she said, honestly, I kind of dismissed it. And so I think one of the most common grooming techniques is to make someone feel special. And then there's a term called love bombing. And love bombing can be anything from compliments or little treats or the guy coming to the son's um, football game or, uh, you know, a coach offering to give a kid extra time or to drive a kid home and write 98% of these people are kind, supportive, helpful people. And we want to teach our kids to recognize that feeling where this woman's son said, no, mom, it's icky. And we, if a kid says that, we want to teach them to recognize when they feel icky, even if that's all they can tell you. And when they tell you they feel icky, we want to honor that because they they may only be able to tell you the feeling or to point out one thread and then write the videos and the discussion questions are actually created to help you say, oh, well, that's a thread. That's really important. It's a little bit strange for a coach to be giving only one athlete's treats and to be doing it in private. And So let's look, are there any other threads that you see? Is your coach making you feel special? Do you ever feel afraid to say no to the coach? Is your coach trying to be alone with you? Those types of questions um, can be super helpful. Yeah. And what what I hear also is that it is extremely important for us to respect 
our children's intuition, right? And to not dismiss it. If, if a child tells you, I, you know, I don't like this person or it feels icky or whatever to, to really, really honor that and say, I hear you and I trust you. And you know, you don't. And I mean, even, even the phrase, tell me more. Yes. Is plenty or I'm here to listen or, um, can you describe what happened all right? And this gets back actually to the mind, my definition of mindfulness. If a kid comes to us with a concern, we want to bring our kindness and our curiosity to this and to, to help them bring kindness and curiosity to it. What felt icky about it? Oh, he's standing too close or he's, put his hand, he keeps putting his hand on my shoulder. You know, shoulder is a neutral part of the body, but if it's too frequent or like... Too, if it doesn't feel right, it's just yeah. it doesn't feel right. Like we don't need to, to, to rationalize. If a child says it doesn't feel good to me, then, then we need to respect right. that for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm just remembering how my daughter and I, I have a 25 year old and uh, actually about to be 26. But to me, I was always amazed at how she's very kind of intuitive in how she can perceive people. And, and, and as a very, very young child, she would tell me, you know, that this person was nice or not nice, or she didn't like them. And I always really needed, you know, respected that because to me, that was really her intuition speaking. And, um, and I think it is so important for us to, to really honor that and take that in consideration when children tell us things like that. Right. Yeah. And I think I, this is a tender topic, but, um, you said also that kind of the focus of your audience is um, like young, young parents and young kids. And so the other thing is, right, it's not this behavior is not always outside the household. Right. And it's important to remember that as well. Right. Right. And that that's that's unfortunately, you know, another topic. And I actually have somebody coming on to talk about it, but just that whole parental, uh, you know, emotional abuse. But, but here, here, I guess I want to stay on the topic of how can we help parents help their children if they suspect something or if their child comes to them and says, you know, there's something that doesn't feel right, um, how to, I guess, help them unravel what is going on and, and, and get support. Yeah. Well, I'd like to, to, to back up one step because I'd actually rather work upstream on the preventive end. Okay. So yes. my preference would be that parents watch the videos with their kids in the comfort of their own home um, where they have time to discuss it. And there are discussion questions on the website, but you want to do it before your kid comes to you, preferably, right? So this is just part of your normal um, parental safety measures. And I kind of compare it to when you were teaching or when you are teaching, if your kids are at that stage, 
um, your kids to, you know, go out into the world on their own, right? You walk with them to the ice cream shop or to school or to soccer practice, and you teach them to stop at stop signs and stop lights and look both ways. And you teach them to notice like, is that car driving fast or is that person driving erratically or, you know, and we want to teach them the same caution in their relationships with adults and with peers. And so I'd like for it to be that you taught them before they come to you. Now, obviously, if you haven't done that and they're coming to you now, then you can watch the videos now and say, let's, you know, I understand that they gave you a treat and it felt weird. Or I understand your English teacher came to your football game and that felt weird. Let's look together and see if we see any other threads or patterns. And then if the answer is yes, I mean, even if you see just one thread or one pattern, that's probably enough. But the more threads and patterns you see, the more likely the person is a spider. And at that point, I really feel that as responsible adults, it's our job to take action. It's not on the child to take action. The child's job is to tell an adult they trust. And if the adult, the first adult they tell doesn't help them, then you want them to keep telling adults until they get a response from an adult. And then it's our job as adults to make sure that the you know, that the, the potential spider is investigated. If it's proven that they're a spider, the spider needs to not only be removed from that environment, but it needs to be reported in a way that then the spider doesn't go to the school or the soccer team or the choir in the next town over. And so also on the website is a list, a code of ethics and policies and procedures that we can put in place as uh, a team coach or a club director or a PTA or, you know, the director of the YMCA to make our environments spider proof. Wonderful. Yes. And, and for me, I was also thinking that it starts, you know, at home when children are young in this whole notion of consent as well. And, and we kind of started talking about this offline about, you know, when a young child doesn't want to hug the, the relative that is, you know, showing up for, for, you know, Sunday meals or whatever, and to respect that, to respect children when they don't want to, give a hug to a stranger or say hello to a stranger and such that it, it really starts there where we are really respecting our children's, um, you know, personal space and, and just what they feel towards these people. Right. And I think, I think again, I'm trying, I'm trying to move one step backward, even from there, because before there's the invasion of, personal physical space, which as we discussed before is super, super important. There's often 
a trespass on the emotional space. And usually the first trespass is super, super charming. And so it's very hard for kids to understand that the person that's being overly nice is a potential risk, right? Right. Children are trusting. I was trusting. I was trusting for 31 years, right? Like we don't expect the adults in our lives to be sneaky spiders. And so, and I don't want it to be that kids and parents are walking around paranoid. I don't think that's healthy, but I do want them to be informed and empowered so that if a situation occurs, they can say something. And again, the physical situations in some ways are so much easier. I talked to a mom early in the production of Spot a Spider. Um, I was just you know, reading, reading the script to different kids and parent groups of parents to get feedback. And the mom talked about a guy in their community who taught piano lessons. His preferred client was single moms. So no male in the house to kind of be protective. Not that moms can't be protective, but you know, he, he scoped out his situations well and the guy put his hand on, you know, her, his daughter, her daughter's thigh. And again, the physical thing gets covered in how to spot an obvious spider. But there's a step before the physical that is so much harder to see. And that's why there's 45 minutes of video to help people see it. Right. Right. And, 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 and what I was, what I was referring to though is, is, um, you know, if I can backtrack just a little bit of this whole idea of consent that we can teach our children very early on, right. To have, um, autonomy over their body, right. If, if they don't want to give a hug because, I, I've seen it and, and I've experienced it where it's, you know, say hello to, to my friend. And it's like, I don't know who your friend is and I don't want to give a hug to this stranger. Right. And, and that to me, that is something that we need to respect vis-a-vis our children because they do have a sense. And just like I, what I was describing with my daughter, they do have a sense of, who who they want to interact with and i and i think we need to be really respectful of that because that is where we are going to also have that relationship of trust with them so that they can come to us if if you know god forbid there there is something that they need to share that is that is delicate that they will trust us because we've given them that autonomy and we've respected right. their, their and choices. And the only, I think we're totally agreeing. Yeah. And the addition that I want to make, and I like that we're teasing this out together. The addition that I want to make is that there almost needs to be an idea, not, not only of physical autonomy, but also mental and emotional autonomy. So, right. If, So before the physical piece, if the person's being 
emotionally creepy and our child doesn't want to participate in that, there almost should be the idea of like emotional consent to go along with the idea of physical consent. Right. Um, and so I don't know, like, um, I know you keep on referring to the videos, but is there, is there maybe one or, or two kind of, uh, takeaway that you can share with our listeners of, of, you know, I know you, you've described this, you know, maybe this coach that is super friendly or gives you treats or makes you feel special. Are there other ways that these, you know, what, what I would consider predators, Mm -hmm. um, interact with our children or, or even interact with us? Like if we, we feel something is not right, you know, even if there's, there's an adult listening. I'll pick, I'll, I mean, there's seven patterns that are discussed in the video. So I'll just pick one more to highlight and then we can see where we go from there. But the other pattern that's super concerning is if someone is creating doubt um, in yourself, like, you know, that's not what I said, or that's not what I did. And I'm actually going to give you two. So one is like, if the, if the spider's getting defensive or the spider's being super charming, um, those are two. And then the other one is trying to separate people. So mm. if, um, if you have someone who's, if your child and a friend are interacting with this person and the friend starts raising concerns about the spider, and we'll just use a coach for now, um, then often the spider will tell your child to that the friend doesn't know what they're talking about, the friend is just jealous, um, and that the child should not associate with the friend because um, they're you know they're raising unnecessary concerns and they don't know what they're talking about. If you as a parent are raising concerns and your kid is old enough, like a teen, um, the coach may actually say, your parents don't know what's best for you. They don't know what it takes to compete at the highest level. Your parents' doubts and fears are holding you back. And they're actually trying to separate the child from you if you're the person who's raising the concerns. And then the same with an assistant coach, right? Where if an assistant coach speaks up and says, you know, this doesn't look right. I'm a little bit worried. You know, the coach may um, kind of diminish the concerns of the assistant coach or may even have the assistant coach who's being ethical and raising concerns may even have them fired so that there's no one questioning. Oh, and this is another big one. If you're, if the organization has a sign that says, no parents allowed, that's another big red flag. Institutions that are, that we're entrusting our children to should let us observe as long as we're as parents, um, not being distracting and not trying to coach, but you should be able to, you know, observe practice. Right. Right. Yeah. That makes total sense. And so if, if the, 
if there's a a, po- a club policy that parents can't come in, I would not at this point, knowing what I know, and I think back to the environments I put my kids in when they were young, but at this point, knowing what I know, I wouldn't put my kids in a, in any type of situation where I wasn't allowed to observe on occasion. Right, right. Because that, that's definitely a red flag where, where they're wanting to hide something. So, right. yeah, very, very true. Uh, well, this, this has been, um, my 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 I will I will say I'll be honest my gut is a little bit <laughs> tied up in a knot because I feel like this is this is pretty intense of a conversation but an important one so I really appreciate the work that you're you're doing and the the efforts that you have put into educating our parents our children uh, our teens to to just be on the lookout for those spiders because and and it's and it's so well said you know of how to spot a spider because um it can things can just creep up on you without you knowing yeah and I want to honor to so I'm going to shift like into my mindfulness hat for a minute sure um and just like we can all take a deep breath if you also you're as a listener, your gut is in a knot, you can just bring some kind and curious attention to that, maybe even breathe into that feeling. And the interesting thing is that in a certain way, that's what our guts are meant to do. And it's what spiders tend to override. It's like, because there is that phrase, like, trust your gut. And we want our kids to trust their guts and we want to trust our own guts. And spiders will often be super reassuring, like, oh, you can trust me. There's no reason to be nervous. This is how all great coaches treat their best athletes. And so I think as as uncomfortable as it is, we want to trust those gut feelings And as knotted as your gut is in this moment, it would be so much more knotted if you were dealing with an actual situation where your kid had come to you with an experience of abuse. So part of what I say to parents is as uncomfortable as having these conversations with your children may be, and I've really tried to make it as comfortable as possible, it's way more comfortable than having a conversation after the fact. Definitely, definitely. Yes, this this preemptive conversation is so important. I really appreciate uh, you coming on the show, Dr. Amy, and, and sharing all of this. Um, I just always like to ask a more personal question. So you did mention early on that you have children of your own. I do. Um, how, How old are they, may I ask? One is 25. Uh, My son is 25 and my daughter's 22. Okay. So if you were to go back 26 years ago when you were expecting your first child, (laughs) if what wise words would you tell yourself knowing all that you know today? I think that really gets to how I got involved with my own spider 
Mm-hmm. And so I think what I would tell myself and I would tell your listeners and I would tell your listeners' children is you are enough. Because what happened for me in getting involved with my spider was I felt not good enough. And then my spider understood that and promised both promised me that she would help me become good enough and scared me that if I stopped working with her, I would never become good enough. So for people to recognize their own value and innate worthiness, I think is super, super protective. Beautiful. Beautiful. I, I really appreciate those words. And um, is there anything that you would like to kind of final words that you would like to leave our listeners with? Yeah, I think um, like anything else that you're teaching your kids, crossing the street, brushing your teeth, putting on your seatbelt, putting on your bike helmet, I'd like to have these conversations be as about spotting spiders. My intention is for these conversations to be as natural as those conversations about why you need to brush your teeth or put your bike helmet on. And so that's, that was really my intention in creating the program. Beautiful, beautiful. And I will have all of those links in the show notes for those uh, listening to us. So again, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Amy, for coming on the show today and sharing your work with us. Thank you so much for having me and for supporting your parents and thereby supporting their children. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Art of Parenting. And if you did, please make sure to share it with your loved ones. And do come share your takeaways in our private Facebook community. I'd also be grateful for a review on iTunes so it can get heard by many more. And remember, if you've got a question, let me know. I'm here for you. Till next time.